Bridge to Terabithia by Katherine Patterson, Chapter 1. Jesse Oliver Aarons Jr. Brum, 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 brippity, brippity, brippity. Good. His dad had the pickup going. He could get up now. Jess slid out of bed and into his overalls. He didn't worry about the shirt because once he began running, he would be hot as popping grease even if the morning air was chill. Or shoes because the bottoms of his feet were by now as tough as his worn out sneakers. Where are you going, Jess? Maybelle lifted herself up sleepily from the double bed where she and Joyce Ann slept. Shh, he warned. The walls were thin. Mama would be mad as flies in a fruit jar if they woke her up this time of day. He patted Maybelle's hair and yanked the twisted sheet up to her small chin, just over to the cow field, he whispered. Maybelle smiled and snuggled down under the sheet. Gonna run? Maybe. Of course he was going to run. He got up. He had gotten up early every day all summer to run. He figured if he worked at it, and Lord, had he worked, he could be the fastest runner in fifth grade when school opened up. He had to be the fastest, not one of the fastest or next to the fastest, but the fastest, the very best. He tiptoed out of the house. The place was so rattly that the screech that it screeched whenever you put your foot down. But Jess had found that if you tiptoed, it gave only a low moan, and he could usually get outdoors without waking Mama or Ellie or Brenda or Joyce Ann. Maybell was another matter. She was going on seven, and she worshipped him, which was okay sometimes. When you were the only boy smashed between four sisters, the older two had despised you ever since you'd stopped letting them dress you up and wheel you around in their rusty old doll carriage. And the littlest one cried if you looked at her cross-eyed. It was nice to have somebody who worshipped you, even if it got unhandy sometimes. He began to trot across the yard. His breath was coming out in little puffs, cold for August. But it was early yet. By noontime, when his mom would have him out working, it would be hot enough. Miss Bessie stared at him sleepily as he climbed across the scrap heap over the fence and into the cow field. She said, looking for all the world like another Maybelle with her big brown droopy eyes. Hey, Miss Bessie, Jess said smoothingly. Just go on back to sleep. Miss Bessie strolled over to a greenish patch. Most of the field was brown and dry and yanked up a mouthful. That a girl. Just eat your breakfast. Don't pay me no mind. He was always start, He always started at the northwest corner of the field, crouched over like the runners he had seen on Wild World of Sports. Bang, he said and took off flying around the cornfield. Miss Bessie strolled toward the center, still following him with her droopy eyes, chewing slowly. She didn't look very smart, even for a cow, but she was plenty bright enough to get out of Jess's way. His straw-colored hair flapped hard against his forehead, and his arms and legs flew out every which way. He had never learned to run properly, 
but he was long-legged for a 10-year-old, and no one had more grit than he. Lark Creek Elementary was short on everything, especially athletic equipment, so all the balls went to the upper grades at recess time after lunch. Even if the fifth grader started out the period with a ball, it was sure to be in the hands of a sixth or seventh grader before the hour was half over. The older boys always took the dry center of the upper field for their ball games, while the girls claimed the small top section for hopscotch and jump rope and hanging around talking. So the lower grade boys had started this running thing. They would all line up on the far side of the lower field where it was either muddy or deep crusted ruts. Earl Watson, who was no good at running, would, but who had a big mouth, would yell, bang, and they'd race to a line they'd towed across at the other end. One time last year, Jesse had won not just the first heap, but the whole shebang only once, but it had put into his mouth a taste for winning. Ever since he'd been in first grade, he'd been that crazy little kid that draws all the time. But one day, April the 22nd, a drizzly Monday, it had been, he ran ahead of them all. The red mud sloshed up through the holes in the bottom of his sneakers. For the rest of that day and until after lunch on the next, he had been the fastest kid in the third fourth and fifth grades and he and he only a fourth grader on Tuesday Wayne Pettis had won again as usual but this year Wayne Pettis would be in the sixth grade he'd play football until Christmas and baseball until June with the rest of the big guys anybody had a chance to be the fastest runner and by Miss Bessie this year it was going to be Jesse Oliver Aarons Jr. Jess pumped his arms harder and bent his head for the distant fence. He could hear the third grade boys screaming him on. They would follow him around like a country music star, and Maybelle would pop her buttons. Her brother was the fastest, the best. That ought to give the rest of the first grade something to chew on their cud, chew their cuds on. Even his dad would be proud. Jess rounded the corner. He couldn't keep going quite so fast, but he continued running for a while. It would build him up. Maybelle would tell Daddy, so it wouldn't look as though he, Jesse, was a bragger. Maybe Dad would be so proud he'd forget all about how tired he was from the long drive back and forth to Washington and the digging and hauling all day. He would get right down on the floor and wrestle the way they used to. Old dad would be surprised at how strong he'd gotten in the last couple years. His body was begging him to quit, but Jess pushed on. He had to let that puny chest of his know who was boss. Jess, it was Maybelle yelling from the other side of the scrap heap. Mama says you got to come in and eat now. Leave the milk until later. Oh, crud. He'd run too long. Now everyone would know that he had been out and start in on him. Yeah, okay, he turned, still running, and headed for the scrap heap. Without breaking his rhythm, he climbed over the fence, scrambled across the scrap heap, thumped Maybelle on the head, ow, and trotted onto the house. 
Well, look at that big Olympic star, said Ellie, banging two cups on the table so that strong black coffee sloshed out. Sweating like a knock-kneed mule. Jess pushed his damp hair out of his face and plucked down on the wooden bench. He dumped two spoonfuls of sugar into his cup and slurped to keep the hot coffee from scalding his mouth. Ew, Mama, he stinks. Brenda pinched her nose with her pinky crooked delicately. Make him wash. Get over here to the sink and wash yourself, his mother said without raising her eyes from the stove. And step on it. These grits are scorching the bottom of the pot already. Mama, not again, Brenda whined. Lord, he was tired. There wasn't a muscle in his body that didn't ache. You heard what Mama said, Ellie yelled at his back. I can't stand it, Mama, Brenda yelled. Make him get his smell self off this bench. Jess put his cheek down on the, bar, on the bare wood of the tabletop. Jessie, his mother, was looking now and put on a shirt. Yes, ma'am. He dragged himself to the sink. The water he flipped on his face and up his arms pricked like ice. His hot skin crawled under the cold drops. Maybelle was standing in the kitchen door watching him. Get me a shirt, Maybelle. She looked as if her mouth was set to say no, but instead she said, you shouldn't ought to beat me on the head. And went off obediently to fetch his t-shirt. Good old Maybelle. Joyce Ann would have been screaming yet from that little tap. Four-year-olds were a pure pain. I got plenty of chores needs doing around here this morning, his mother announced as they were finishing the grits and red gravy. His mother was from Georgia and still cooked like it. Oh, Mama! Ellie and Brenda squawked in concert. These girls could get out of work faster than the grasshoppers could slip through your fingers. Mama, you promised me and, Bel- and Brenda we could go to Millsburg for school shopping. You ain't got no money for school shopping. Mama, we're just going to go look around. Lordy, wish Brenda would stop whining so. Christmas, you don't want us to have no fun at all. Any fun, Ellie corrected her primly. Oh, shut up. Ellie ignored her. Miss Timpson's is coming by to pick us up. I told Lolly Sunday you said it was okay. I feel dumb calling her and saying that you changed your mind. Oh, all right, but I ain't got no money to give you any money something whispered inside jess's head i know mama we'll just take the five dollars daddy promised us no more than that (laughs) what five dollars oh mama you remember ellie's voice was sweeter than a melted mars bar (laughs) daddy said last week that we girls were gonna have to have something for school Oh, take it, his mother was angry, reaching for her cracked vinyl purse on the shelf above the stove. She counted out five wrinkled bills. Mama, Brenda was starting in again. We can't just have one more, so it'll be three each. No. Mama, you can't buy nothing for two fifty. Just one little pack of notebook papers gone up to... No. 
Ella got up noisily and began to clear the table. Your turn to wash, Brenda, she said loudly. Oh, Ellie. Ellie jabbed her with a spoon. Jess saw that look. Brenda shut up her wine halfway around her rose luster lipsticked mouth. She wasn't, wasn't as smart as Ellie, but even she knew not to push Mama too far, which left Jess to do more work th- as usual. Mama never sent the babies out to help, although if he worked it right, he could usually get Maybelle to do something. He put his head down on the table. The running had done him in this morning. Through his top ear came the sound of Timmons's old Buick. Once oil, his dad would say, and the happy buzz of the voices outside the screen door as Ellie and Brenda squashed in among the seven Thompsonses. All right, Jessie, get your lazy self off that bench. Miss Bessie's bag is probably dragging the ground by now, and you've still got the beans to pick. Lazy? He was lazy one? He gave his poor dead weight off his head, off a head one minute more on the table top. Jessie! All right, Mama, I'm going. It was Maybelle who came to him in the bean patch that people were moving in to the old Perkins place down on the next farm. Jess wiped his hair out of his eyes and squinted. Sure enough, a U-Haul was parked right by the door. One of those big jointed ones. These people had a lot of junk, but they they wouldn't last. The Perkins place was one of those ratty old country houses you moved into because you had no decent place to go and moved out of as quickly as you could. He thought later how peculiar it was that he was here was probably the biggest thing in his life and he had shrugged it off as nothing. The flies were buzzing around his sweating face and shoulders. He dropped the beans into the bucket and squatted with both and swatted with both hands. Get me my shirt, Maybelle. The flies were more important than any U-Haul. Maybelle jogged to the end of the row and picked up his t-shirt from where it had been discarded earlier. She walked back, holding it with two fingers way out in front of her. Oh, it stinks, she said, just as Brenda would have. Shut up, he said, and grabbed the shirt away from her. Bridge to Terabithia, chapter three. The Fastest Kid in Fifth Grade. Jess didn't see Leslie Burke again, except from a distance, until the first day of school the following Tuesday, when Mr. Turner brought her down to Mrs. Meyer's fifth grade class at Lark Creek Elementary. Leslie was still dressed in the faded cutoffs and the blue undershirt. She had sneakers on her feet, but no socks. Surprise swished up from the class like steam from a released radiator cap. They were all sitting there primly dressed in their spring Sunday best. Even Jess wore his one pair of corduroys and an ironed shirt. The reaction didn't seem to bother her. She stood there in front, her eyes saying, okay friends, here I am, in answer to their open-mouthed stares while Mrs. Meyer fluttered about trying to figure out where to put an extra desk. The room was a small basement one, and five rows of six desks already filled it more than comfortably. 
31. Mrs. Myers kept muttering over her double chin. 31. No one else has more than 29. She finally decided to put a desk up against the side wall near the front. Just there for uh, Leslie. It's the best we can do for now. This is a very crowded classroom. She swung a pointed glance at Mr. Turner's retreating form. Leslie waited quietly until the seventh grade boy who'd been sent down with the extra desk scraped it into position hard against the radiator and under the first window. Without making any noise, she pulled it a few inches forward from the radiator and settled herself into it. Then she turned once more to gaze at the rest of the class. Thirty pairs of eyes were suddenly focused on desktop scratches. Jess ran his forefinger around the heart with two pairs of initials, BR plus SK, trying to figure out whose desk he had inherited. Probably Sally Coe's. Girls did more of the heart stuff in fifth grade than boys. Besides, BR must be Billy Rudd. Billy was known to favor Marianne Myrna Hauser last spring. Of course, these initials might have been there long before that. In which case, Jesse Aarons, Bobby Greggs, pass out the arithmetic books, please. On the last word, Mrs. Myers flashed her famous first day of school smile. It was said in the upper grades that Mrs. Myers had never been seen to smile except on the first and the last day of school. Jess roused himself and went to the front. As he passed Leslie's desk, she grinned and rippled her fingers in a low kind of wave. He jerked a nod. He couldn't help feeling sorry for her. It must be embarrassing to sit in the front when you find yourself dressed funny on the first day of school. And you don't know anyone. He slapped the books down as Mrs. Myers directed. Gary Fulcher grabbed his arm as he went by. Gonna run today? Jess nodded. Gary smirked. He thinks he can beat me, that dumb head. At the thought, something jiggled inside Jess. He knew he was better than he had been last spring. Fulcher might think he was going to be the best now that Wayne Pettis was in sixth. But he, Jess, planned to give old Fulcher a, la a little surprise come noon. It was as though he had swallowed a grasshopper. He could hardly wait. Mrs. Myers handed out books, almost as though she were President of the United States, dragging the distribution process out in senseless singings and ceremonies. It occurred to Jess that she, too, wished to postpone regular school as long as possible. When it wasn't his turn to pass out books, Jess sneaked out a piece of notebook paper and drew. He was toying with the idea of doing a whole book of drawings. He ought to choose one chief character and do a story about it. He scribbled several animals and tried to think of a name. A good title would get him started. The Haunted Hippo. He liked the ring of it. Herbie the Haunted Hippo. Even better, the case of the Crooked Crocodile. Not bad. What you doing? Jerry Fulcher was leaning way over his desk. Jess covered the page with his arm. Nothing. Ah, oh, come on, let me see. Jess shook his head. Gary reached down and tried to pull Jess's hand away from the paper. The case of the crooked... Come on, Jess, he whispered hoarsely. I ain't gonna hurt nothing. 
He yanked at Jess's thumb. Jess put both arms over the paper and brought his sneaker heel crashing down on Gary Fulcher's toe. Yow, boys! Mrs. Meyer's face had lost its lemon pie smile. He stomped my toe. Take your seat, Gary. But he sit down. Jesse Aarons, one more peep from your direction, and you can spend recess in here copying the dictionary. Jess's face was burning hot. He slid the notebook paper back under the des- his desk and put his head down. A whole year of this. Eight more years of this. He wasn't sure he could stand it. The children at lunch ate lunch at their desks. The county had been promising Lark Creek a lunchroom for 20 years, but there never seemed to be enough money. Jess had been so careful not to lose his recess time that even now he chewed his bologna sandwich with his lips tight shut and his eyes on the initialed heart. Around him, conversations buzzed. They were not supposed to talk during lunch, but it was the first day, and even Monster Mouth Myers shot fewer flames on the first day. She's eating clatter. Two seats up from where he sat, Mary Lou Peoples was at work being the second snottiest girl in fifth grade. Yogurt stupid, don't you watch TV? This from Wanda K. Moore, the snottiest, who sat immediately in front of Jess. Yuck. Lord, why couldn't they leave people in pl- in peace? Why couldn't Leslie Burke eat anything she darn pleased? He forgot that he was trying to eat carefully and took a loud slurp of his milk. Wayne Moore turned around. Wanda Moore turned around all pris-faced. Jesse Aarons, that noise is pure repulsive. He glared at her hard and gave another slurp. You are disgusting. Ring. The recess bell. With a yelp, the boys were pushing for first place at the door. The boys will all sit down. Oh, Lord. While the girls line up to go out to the playground, ladies first. The boys quivered on the edges of their seats like moths fighting to be freed of cocoons. Would she ever let them go? All right. Now, if you boys, they didn't give her a chance to change her mind. They were halfway to the end of the field before she could finish her sentence. The first two out began dragging their toes to make the finish line. The ground was rutted from past rains, but had hardened in the late summer drought. So they had to give up on sneaker toes and draw the line with a stick. The fifth grade boys, bursting with new importance, ordered the fourth graders this way and that, while the smaller boys tried to include themselves without being conceptuous. How many you guys gonna run? Gary Fulcher demanded. Me, 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 everyone yelled. That's too many. No, first, second, or third graders, except maybe the butcher cousins and Timmy Vaughn. The rest of you'll just have to be in the way, would just be in the way. Shoulders sagged, but the little boys backed away obediently. Today, that leaves 26, 27, stand still, 28. Uh, you get 28, Greg? Fulcher asked Greg Williams. Williams, his shadow. Rat, 28. Okay, now, we have eliminations, like always. Count off by force. Then we'll run all the ones together. Then the twos. We know, we know. Everyone was impatient with Gary, who was trying for all the world to sound like this year's Wayne Pettis. Jess was a four, which suited him well enough. 
He was impatient to run, but he really didn't mind having a chance to see how the others were doing since spring. Fulcher was a one, of course, having started everything with himself. Jess grinned at Fulcher's back and stuck his hands into his pockets of his corduroys, wriggling his right forefinger through the hole. Gary won the first heat easily and had plenty of breath left. Boss, the organizing of the second. A few of the younger boys drifted off to play king of the mountain on the slope between the upper and lower fields. Out of the corner of his eye, Jess saw someone coming down from the upper field. He turned his back and pretended to concentrate on Fulcher's high-pitched commands. Hi! Leslie Burke had come up beside him. He shifted slightly away. <laughs> Aren't you running? Later. Maybe if he didn't look at her, she'd go up, back up to the upper field where she belonged. Gary told Earl Watson to bang, to, to bang the start. Jess watched. Nobody with much speed was in that crowd. He kept his eyes on the shirt tails and bent backs. A fight broke out at the finish line between Jimmy Mitchell and Clyde Deal. Everyone rushed to see. Jess was aware that Leslie Burke stayed at his elbow, but he was careful not to look at her. Clyde! Gary Fulcher made the de- de- declaration. It was Clyde. It was a tie, Fulcher, a fourth grader protested. I was standing right here. Clyde Dale. Jimmy Mitchell's draw with, do, jaw was set. I won, Fulcher. You couldn't even see from way back there. It was deal. Gary ignored the protests. We're wasting time. All three's line up now. Jimmy's fist went up in the air. Ain't fair, Fulcher. Gary turned his back and headed for the starting line. Oh, let them both run in the finals. What's it gonna hurt? Jess said loudly. Gary stopped and walked, stopped walking and wheeled to face him. Fulcher glared first at Jess and then at Leslie Burke. Next thing, he said with his voice dripping in sarcasm, next thing you're gonna want to let some girl run. Jess's face went hot. Sure, he said recklessly. Why not? He turned deliberately toward Leslie. Want to run? He asked. Sure, she grinned. Why not? You ain't scared to let a girl race, are you, Fulcher? For the first, for a moment, he thought Gary was going to sock him, and he stiffened. He mustn't let Fulcher suspect that he was scared. A little belt, a little belt in the mouth, wasn't scared of a little belt in the mouth. But instead, Gary broke into a trot and started bossing the threes into line for their heat. You can run with the fours, Leslie, he said loudly enough to make sure that Fulcher could hear him and then concentrated on the runners. See, he told himself, you can stand up to a creep like Fulcher. No sweat. Bobby Miller won the threes easily. He was the best of the fourth graders, almost as fast as Fulcher, but not as good as me, just thought. He was beginning to get really excited now. There wasn't anybody in the force who could give him much of a race. Still, it would be better to give Fulcher a scare by running well in that heat. Leslie lined up beside him on the right. He moved a tiny bit to the left, but she didn't seem to notice. At the bang, Jess shot forward. It felt good, even though even the rough ground against the bottom of his worn sneakers. He was pumping good. He could almost smell Gary Fulcher's surprise as he at his improvement. The crowd was noisier than they had been during the other heats. Maybe they were all noticing. He wanted to look back to see where the others were, but he resisted the temptation. It would seem conceited to look back. He concentrated on the line ahead. 
It was nearing with every step. Oh, Miss Bessie, if you could see me now. He felt it before he saw it. Someone was moving up. He automatically pumped harder. Then the shape was there in his sideway visions. Then, suddenly, pulling ahead, he forced himself now. His breathing was choking him, and the sweat was in his eyes. But he saw the figure anyhow. The faded cutoffs crossed the line a full three feet ahead of him. Leslie turned to face him with a wide smile on her tanned face. He stumbled and, without a word, began half-walking, half-trotting to the starting line. This was the day he was going to be champion, the best runner of fourth and fifth grades, and he hadn't even won his heat. There was no cheering at either end of the field. The rest of the boys seemed as stunned as he was. The teasing would come later, he felt sure, but at least for the moment, none of them were talking. Okay, Fulcher took over. He tried to appear very much in charge. Okay, you guys, you can line up on the for the finals, he walked over to Leslie. Okay, you had your fun. You run on up and play hopscotch now. But I won the heat, she said. Gary lowered his head like a bull. Girls aren't supposed to play on the lower field. Better get up there before one of the teachers sees you. But I want to run, she said quietly. You already did. What's the matter, Fulcher? All Jess's anger was bubbling out. He couldn't seem to stop the flow. What's the matter? Scared to race her? Fulcher's fists went up, but Jess walked away from it. Fulcher would have let her run now. Would have to let her run now. He knew, and Fulcher did angrily and grudgingly. She beat him. She came in first and turned her large, shining eyes on a bunch of dumb, sweating, mad faces. The bell rang. Jess darted to across the lower field. His hands still deep in his pockets. He caught. Up, she caught up with him. He took his hands out and began to trot toward the hill. She'd got him into enough trouble. She speeded up and refused to be shaken off. Thanks, she said. Yeah, for what, he was thinking. You're the only kid in this whole darn school who's worth shooting. He wasn't sure he thought, he thought her voice was quivering, but he wasn't going to start feeling sorry for her again. So shoot me, he said. On the bus that afternoon, he did something that he had never thought he would do. He sat down beside Maybelle. It was the only way he could make sure that he wouldn't have Leslie plunking herself down beside him. Lord, the girl had no notion of what you did and didn't do. He stared out the window, but he knew he had come. she had come and was sitting across the aisle from them. He heard her say just once, but the best bus was noisy enough that he could pretend that he hadn't heard. When they came to the stop, he grabbed Maybelle's hand and dragged her off conscious of Leslie right behind them, but she didn't try to speak to him again, nor did she follow them. She just took off running to the old Perkins place. He couldn't help turning to watch. She ran as though it came, It was her nature. It reminded him of a, a flight of wild ducks in the autumn. So smooth. The word beautiful came to his mind, but he shook it away and hurried up toward the house.